Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. This week I decided I needed to get serious about building up my email list. Now, I don't know what I'm going to do with this email list, but at some point in time I may do something like uh, chartering a sailboat and I might be looking for other people to join me on the sailboat. I may be having special offers I might want to share with you. But if you sign up for my email list, I promise I will not bombard you with emails. In fact, I'm probably the opposite. I probably should be utilizing my email lists that I have on my other website a little more. But that takes work, and it, it, I just don't have the time in the day to do all the great marketing that I should be doing with a, with a website like mine. Anyway, to try to entice you to sign up for the newsletter... I'm offering eight free audio lessons for the sailing, learn to sail, basic keelboat certifications, lessons for the ASA 101 exam. This is the first eight lessons of that audio course. Now, if you want to buy the rest of the audio course after you listen to the first eight lessons, then you're going to basically have to go pay full price for it because I'm not going to sell the other half of the lessons. But if you're just starting out learning to sail, this is going to cover the terminology and the basic maneuvers of a sailboat. And that may be all you're interested in, and this will help you do that. So I hope you consider signing up for my newsletter. It's on the top right-hand side of the webpage as you log in, as you browse to the website. And the website, of course, is medsailor.com. Today I have a great interview with John Fulweiler. He's what I consider our resident legal expert on maritime law or admiralty law. And in this episode, I talk about how you might want to consider titling your boat when you buy a new boat. Now, I'm not sure we answered really that question, but we gave you a lot of things you probably should think about before you title your boat, and you probably should seek out your own legal advice when you make that decision. If you have questions for John, our resident legal expert, send me a note, franz at medsailor.com, and I will forward them on to John, and we can cover them in the next time that we do an interview. If you have suggestions for the podcast, topics, people you think I should interview, drop me a note. I try to follow up on those. I haven't always been successful in finding guests to interview on the topics that you've asked me to cover, but I do try. And I do make an effort, but I can't spend all my day trying to track down people that might be of interest. If you have friends, fam, acquaintances that have good stories to tell, remember, this podcast is mostly about entertainment. That's the number one objective of this podcast, and information secondary. So even if they don't have any great information to share with us, if they have a great story to tell, I want to talk to them. Also, if you have a chance, go into the iTunes directory and write a review for the podcast. And with that out of the way, let's get on to my interview with John. I'm back with John Fulweiler. I consider John our, our resident maritime expert, maritime law expert, our admiralty law expert. 
John has agreed to come back on the podcast, and I asked him to talk about registration and documentation. And, John, let me fill you in a little bit about where this uh, idea came from. Jack Andrews, a guy that sailed with me last year, is in the process of, of selling everything and buying a boat and, and going sailing. And, and I don't know if you're going to be able to help Jack, but Jack lives in Seattle, but he and his wife and his children are all Australian citizens. He's thinking of buying his boat in, uh, in the Mediterranean, probably in Greece. And he was in a quandary on how to go about registering his boat. Now, I don't know if that's something you would have any expertise in or not, but let's, in general, talk about boat registrations, the way you may want to hold title that'll give you the flexibility that, that you might be looking for, boat registration, and, and the difference between that and documentation. And, and, John, before we get into it, tell me what you've been up to since the last time we talked on the podcast. I've been up to no good. I've been... Uh, <laughs> I've been filing lawsuits and championing the interests of the uh, seafarer uh, since we last uh, spoke, um, and uh, that is uh, that is we're wearing the white hat around here, and we're 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 fighting the forces of evil, as I tell my wife every day as I leave the house. So um, we've uh, we we we've been busy, um, um, and I think that's probably the best way to to describe it. Well, that's, that's good. That's good. That means you're you're doing the doing the hours now. Do you typically work on? Um out of curiosity, do you work uh, as a plaintiff's attorney on, on on a fee basis, or an hourly basis, or on a results basis? Well, you know, it's it's, it's a great question. I when I was in New York at a much larger firm, you know, I had a, a fair bit of structure I couldn't um, uh, sway away from. But but now, um, being on my own, I I can offer you know a, a variety of different fee arrangements. I actually believe that clients should ask for different fee arrangements. Too often, clients. Uh, unknowingly, just you know, take the fee their option they're given, um, and and so I do try to work with clients. I do uh, contingency fees. I do hybrid fees, which are a mix of an hourly rate and a smaller contingency fee. And for those that don't know, a contingency fee is a percentage uh, that is taken by the law firm when, uh, from the uh, judgment or settlement. Um, in, 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 instead of advancing fees up front, the, the fees are part of the recovery. I like that arrangement to a certain extent because it means we all have skin in the game, and I think from a client's perspective, that's good too. But um, you know, from a lot of smaller things, that doesn't that paradigm doesn't fit well. Yeah, if somebody's coming to you and saying, "Hey, I want you some advice on registering my boat and take care of the paperwork and that sort of thing," that would be an hourly. Fee. It 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 is exactly, and uh, you know, we try to we, we try. To, I always my my philosophy with with clients coming to me is I, I do try to find first um, what remedy we can offer them because if I can't offer them a remedy, um, even if we don't achieve it, I mean, if, 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 then you know, there's, there's really not a lot of sense in, in retaining uh, me in that case. And uh, that sounds a little abstract. But what I mean is like if a client comes to you and says, oh, you know, I want to do this and that, I really try to digest everything first and figure out, well, okay, what are we gunning for here? Is this something that we can achieve if all everything lines up. Can we, can we get the result the client wants? Um, uh, and recognizing litigation, arbitration is always a, uh, a crapshoot, but um, if you can't really put your finger on what the goal is or what the client's goal is, and if the client's just there to, 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 to fight something out of principle, I always sort of beg off. But um, that's probably a long answer to a short question. All right. Well, that's, that's good information. So let's get into the topic of today's subject or the today's podcast 
give me your, you know, high altitude view of registration and documentation and the, and the differences. Well, um, first, by way of attorney caveat, uh, nothing I say here today is uh, legal advice, doesn't create an attorney-client relationship. You really need to speak to your own lawyer to make sure that what I'm saying fits your particular situation. Having said that, um, if, I'm, if I'm looking at documentation registration issues from a seagull's point of view, I, I would describe what we're looking at as a being a confused sea, which your your audience, I'm sure, is aware of what that the ugliness that is, um, and and that's because there's a lot of different permutations to the issue of documentation versus state registration, for instance. And we'll just talk domestically for the time being. Um, you know, in, in the U.S., that's essentially the two cat that is the two categories of uh, vessel licensure. I, I don't know categorization. I don't know a better word to, to fit there. Um, it's documentation which is accomplished through the National Vessel Documentation Center down in Virginia, or it's uh, state registration. Um, And there are big differences between the the two paradigms, Um, 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 and which one's right for you um, you depends on on what kind of vessel you have, what you're doing with that vessel, um, and... and, um, you know, what, what goals you have with respect to taxation issues and such. So um, my, my thought, just as a, as a further prefatory comment, would be that if you are dealing with this, this I'm going to call it nonsense because it, is, it does get into the, such minutiae at times and, uh, that, that it, it really is a, like a big knot of, of issues, uh, I, I think that uh, your audience is probably uh, well-served by contacting a documentation specialist. Um, there are quite a few of them around the United States. And these folks, and I don't want to, and I'm not denigrating what they do by comparing them to, the D, to people that have license, specialized knowledge about how the DMV works or something. But I, I think there is some analysis, some simile there, some, some relationship there. Because if you look at what, of trying to license your vessel, how, what that's involved with, it is kind of like the DMV. There's all these forms and issues and uh, and, and and use um, um, problems that arise. And so these folks are uh, in the contracting industry. There's a term for them. What are they called? Not accelerators, but uh, Franz, do you know what that term is for someone that helps uh, get zoning papers through quickly? A facilitator. That's what I'm thinking of. The facilitator, right? Facilitator. And you can get them for like getting a. You can get a passport in a day. I used to do it in New York. Uh, if you pay a facilitator to do it. And these documentation specialists have that sort of um, connection, knowledge, and water under their keel. So they, they, they kind of have a feel for how your, probably your issue will come out. Um, and, and I think when I look across the, the landscape, or seascape, I should say, of, of admiralty attorneys, I don't know a lot of admiralty attorneys that really drill down on this stuff on a day-to-day basis. Maybe there are. I haven't met them. Um, so, um, that, that would be my pref- second prefatory comment, which would be speak to your documentation specialist, maybe even before you pick up the phone to speak to your admiralty attorney, but let's talk, um, if I can con- continue rambling on here, um, um, I, let, let's talk about uh, documentation, um, because if we're thinking of these two categories, documentation and state registration, documentation is the heavyweight, um, um, it is a, 
Um, it, it, it's a U.S. It's your U.S. your United States registration of your vessel, and it's kind of neat uh, because it was the eleventh act of the very first Congress to set up a vessel documentation scheme. So I always get a kick out of that because I, I mean, it is um, Admiralty was such a it was the internet of the internet of the uh, of the seventeen hundreds. You know, the shipping stuff was was uh, was clearly on everyone's mind. Um, and so the 11th Act of the First Congress set up a, a structure by which uh, vessels could be uh, registered as U.S. vessels. Um, and there are various requirements, which you can get into in a second. Um, um, and and I, I, I think the advantages of, of documentation are, um, are, are several. Um, and we can talk about this further, too, but, but by way of overall... Uh, comment, I would say that the advantages of documentation over state registration is that it's very easy to show ownership, uh, a chain of ownership, ownership title. Um, and so if you have a, a fancy boat or if you have a, a boat that um, you've spent some money to get, um, you may want to have um, a, a very clear uh, ownership string um, so that you can um, um, either make sure that your purchase uh, that, that you're going to make is, is worthwhile, or that the sale you're making, you can establish ownership. Um, and if and this ownership issue comes in too, if you're traveling in international waters, I can't imagine what one would do with, say, an Alabama or a New Hampshire state registration, uh, trying to convince a, uh, I don't know, Panamanian authorities uh, that yeah that that uh, that your vessel's U.S. vessel, et cetera. It's going to be a lot easier if your vessel's documented and you have a documentation from the United States government to show the foreign official. Um, documentation also makes it easier to get financing uh, because um, banks, again, are going to be able to look into the chain of title and they're going to have a familiarity with the way the structure is set up for vessel documentation. It'll smell, it'll feel like to them uh, the same sort of thing you have with houses, homes, and such. So those are a couple of, I think, properly termed advantages uh, to having a vessel documented as opposed to, to register with the state. Now, state registration um, is sometimes required. Um, it, 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 um, it, it's never an end run, in my experience, to document a vessel so that you can get out from having to pay taxes in the state. I'm not familiar. I'm not giving tax advice, but I'm just not familiar with with there being a, an ability to, to avoid having to pay a state fee because you documented the vessel. Um, I know that um, um, some people say um, state registration, they don't want to do it because they have to slap those numbers on the uh, bow of their boat and it destroys the look of the boat, et cetera. Um, but state registration is just exactly what it sounds like. It's just, it's just no different really in many respects than registering your ATV or your snowmobile um, um, and, and it just is the, is the application, you know, it's usually a one page application and a fee you pay and the, 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 um, the state assigns you a, um, a reg number and, um, you're off and running. Um, and, and I, I really don't, I really can't conceive of any particular advantage to registering your vessel in a state as opposed to documenting it. Um, 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 I, I don't know if I have any other comments until we get to some specifics about the differences between the two, although there are more differences. Now, when I, when I built my boat, I, I built it in Utah, and Utah had two ports. Uh, I could either use uh, Salt Lake City as my home port because I chose to document it, uh, or I could use San Francisco as my port, so I chose San Francisco. 
I mean, my port would have been either Salt Lake City or San Francisco, and I thought, you know, Salt Lake City is not a port. It's it shouldn't be registered in, or documented in a in a land landlocked city. So, I chose San Francisco. But when I launched my boat, I launched it in in Washington State, in Bellingham, Washington, and I had to register it in Washington State and pay sales tax on my boat in Washington State because that's where I chose to. Uh, to basically keep the boat and register it. So I had to pay sales tax. So I couldn't get out of sales tax. And the sales tax was, uh, you know, pretty much uh, what I had put into the boat. And they didn't they didn't really argue with me very much on what I claimed, how much I paid for the boat, because I built the boat. So it was, it was something they said, okay, well, that's fine. And I paid that. But also, <laughs> being an out-of-state resident, I could choose any county in Washington to choose to register my my boat. So I didn't, I didn't have to choose uh, Seattle or Bellingham, and I just chose to, uh, chose a, a little county out in the middle of nowhere to, to register my boat because it was on the way up. It was just on the way when I was driving back and forth. So I just chose this county there, and, and uh, but in in Washington they did not require that I as as long as it was a documented boat. They didn't require that I put those numbers on it. All they required is I showed the, the annual tax sticker, and that's really what they were looking for. Because if I was boarded, then I'd show you my documentation papers. I don't know if other states are like that, but that's my only experience with a state and a documented boat. Yeah, I think there are, and Rhode Island may be one of them, uh, other states where if you, it is documented, you don't have to show the registration um, uh, stickers on the bow. Uh, and there are some states uh, where you have to register the boat. Uh, uh, documentation is not sufficient. Although I know that there are other states where you don't have to register it. If it's documented, you don't have to register it. So it's, it's, a, it's something you clearly, your audience um, speak to their, uh, you know, their, 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 you know it's nowadays everything's on the Internet. You can just, you just uh, use a search engine of your choice and, and, and look up your, your, your home port and see... Um, and see what what the state requires. So let's talk about the requirements that you have to meet before you you can document your boat. Yeah, um, the big one is, uh, and you, you're probably familiar with this, having built a boat. It, you know, the net ton. It, not every boat can be documented. That that that's the 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 uh, a, a, um, the first concept to keep in mind. So. Um, to document a boat, it has to be uh, it has to have a net tonnage of five tons. Um, so any vessel great, I should say, any vessel greater than five tons can be documented. And they're talking; they're not talking about putting the boat on the scale and weighing it. They're talking about when they talk tonnage, they're talking about cargo carrying volume. And I remember from days of old when I used to have to study this nonsense. Um, it, it is a uh, it's a complicated formula. And the rule of thumb that I see about and that one I've adopted, too, is I think like 25 or 26 feet in length, you will typically have a cargo volume of five net tons, meaning if it's around 25, 26 feet in length, you can likely document it. Um, uh, the other uh, requirement is you've got to, um, uh, to demonstrate ownership of the vessel. This can get a little wonky if you're dealing with a, a, a foreign um, entity or, or foreign nationals uh, who are trying to document a vessel here in the States. Um, I won't go into it, but I've been involved in litigation involving some very big vessels, cargo-carrying vessels, where I've seen some elaborate arrangements 
um, um, which I assumed were to uh, achieve um, U.S. documentation. Uh, um, and um, um, what else do we have? What about uh, the construction of the vessel? Doesn't it have to be made in the United States or a proportion of it made in the United States? You're right. Yeah. And, it, you know, the keel laid in the States, there's some language like that. And it's got to be, um, you've got to be able to show it becomes, I've seen this before when they're moving vessels out of Canada into the States and they're trying to document it. And they've, you know, they've refitted the vessel here in the States. They bought the hull up there. Uh, that definitely is an area where you'd want to, before you even put down any kind of deposit, you'd want to make sure you spoke to a documentation specialist or an admiralty attorney that, that knows that particular uh, problem and make sure that you're um, that the boat you're bringing in is going to be eligible for um, for, for documentation. You've also got to um, as well. It's also got to be eligible for the endorsement sought. In other words, you can document your vessel, and you've got you can document it as a commercial or recreational, and you've got to be able to support um, the the category of endorsement you're looking to to achieve. Okay, so for most of us on listening to this, it's going to be pretty much for recreation, but do you have to prove something about recreation? I mean, isn't it pretty much a foregone conclusion if you're buying a, a sailboat for your family, it's recreation? I think it would be. I, I suspect the problem here would be if you ended up chartering the boat. Ah, okay. I know there's some wrinkles that arise in that context, and I um, I know that's a – I mean, if we're looking at this little session we're having here, it's just issue spotting. That's an issue spotting item for, for your audience. I'd be aware of – Gosh, you know, if, if I'm going to think about chartering, I need to make sure I have the right endorsement. Mm, yeah, that's a good co- that's a good comment. I hadn't thought of that. I thought, well, any recreational boat could be chartered, but that's not true. That would be a commercial boat at that point in time when you're when you're chartering it out. How did you um, how did you prove um, ownership? Did you, because you didn't have a builder's certificate, uh, which typically is what for your audience typically. I did. I did. The Holland deck was, yeah, the Holland deck was made by Sam Moores in, in Costa Mesa, California. And he, he put in the, the, uh, the, in the hall, he put in the serial number of the boat and I got a bill of sale showing that. So that, that I did have a doc, a document from the builder, which is what I used, um, for, for my documentation. Perfect. So you were all set then. Yeah, but if you actually build it from scratch, I that's a good it's a good thought. If if uh, somebody actually builds a boat from scratch, and uh, then I guess they would have to certify it themselves somehow. And I, I'm not aware of how you deal with that problem. Not either, but I think you're on the probably the right track. Whether you maybe you'd have a surveyor come in um, and and review or audit. Maybe that's how you do have an audit of your endeavor, mm-hmm. and then it could be submitted as an affidavit. I, uh, I I don't know the uh, the specifics there. But. So the advantage of uh, now could a foreigner, um, a foreign owner, buy a boat in the United States that uh, met all the requirements of have a keel laid in the United States and so forth, and and actually document it as a foreign owner of a boat, or does that does it have any problem, or would that be the entity that owns the boat? Um, you have to have. And, for, and because my memory suggests I wasn't clear on the requirements for documentation, you have to demonstrate ownership of the vessel. You've got to be a U.S. citizen and then address that eligibility for endorsement issue. So the U.S. citizenship, I think, is the, the subject you're, you're raising now. And, and that's a 
that's a an issue that's addressed by a Coast Guard Form 1258. And if you are a foreign owner, you can't document that vessel. You would have to, um, it would have, to, there's certain percentages when you look at the Coast Guard regulations. In other words, you could start a U.S. company, a U.S. business entity that could own the vessel, but you have to make sure that the percentages of ownership of that entity are acceptable um, and, and they have them spelled out under the regulations. So the, the issue spotting there is uh, beware foreign owners. You just can't come in and buy a boat and, and document in the U.S. You know, and, and I, when I was writing my thesis on Greek shipping, I remember reading specifically back in world after at the end of World War II, uh, the United States gave so many liberty ships to the Greek uh, merchant marine, and the government was able to divvy out those those liberty vessels as it saw fit. And Onassis, uh, who was a pretty smart guy, came over to the United States and set up a U.S. corporation and, and hired U.S. directors of the corporation and 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 I guess basically showed that the directors owned enough of the shares where he was able to qualify through the corporation as a U.S. entity and buy some more of these Liberty ships and have them U.S. documented. Now, that's just off the top of my head, remember reading this case. And, and I think it went uh, quite a ways up the court ladder before they finally said, well, that's okay, which, uh, <laughs> which I thought was pretty clever of him to do that. And, and, and you're right, yeah, and there is... Um, uh, there, there is a variety of, of, of ways uh, to, to, to do that. But I know it's, I believe it's at least 75% of the stock of the entity has to be vested in U.S. citizens for a coastwise endorsement and 50 if it's engaged in fisheries, something like that. But, but you can see that way it's structured is that it do, there's no loophole there where you just, oh, we'll just set up a U.S. entity and have them own it. And I'll own the share, I'll, as the foreign owner will own the shares of the U.S. entity. That's not going probably not going to work. We basically briefly touched on state registration, and when I talked to you the last time, I said I saw all these Delaware boats in uh, in Europe that were registered in Delaware. So I guess if you're going to be sailing overseas, it might be best to set up an entity in Delaware and register your boat in Delaware because that does yeah. seem to be a fairly recognized state in the United States, and uh, and I, I guess they're getting away when they're when they're clearing in customs. They've seen enough of those state registrations from Delaware that it's that it doesn't seem to be a problem. Do you have any comments on that? So no, I, I, as I understand it, I don't. I, I guess my query would be: Are you saying there's no U.S. documentation in the background? They're only using a Wilmington, Delaware state registration. Yes, yes. Uh, well, I guess it's registered as a. a, a boat in Delaware. And I've seen them when I've, when I've been clearing customs and I've seen some boats come in with uh, Delaware uh, registration on the boat. It's a state registration. So what I've seen happen is um, somebody will set up a, let's say, a limited liability corporation in Delaware, uh, buy a boat in Europe, and register the boat through the limited liability company in Delaware. And then they'll get the state They'll, stay, they'll have their state registration papers, and I've seen them actually take them into the, the customs people, and they seem to recognize it easily enough, as opposed to me that have, you know, myself that has documentation papers. They immediately recognize those. But uh, Delaware seems to be one that is okay, and I've seen other people when I've been in the customs, uh, when I've been going through customs, 
that have had other state registration, and they've had trouble, exactly like you're saying. They've had trouble because the customs guy will look at them and say, well, what's this? I don't know what this is. And yeah. <laughs> but, I can only imagine. Um, so anyway, that's what I'm seeing with Delaware. There's so many of them, especially in Turkey and Greece. And, of course, the reason they're doing this is because we're a tax dodge for them more than any other reason, that, uh, so they don't have to pay taxes in their own country. And they can sort of hide ownership of the of the boat that way as well, but that's what I've at least that's my assumption, and that's that's what I've seen um, a little bit of overseas. Now, that question I've got is: my boat is held as um, joint tenants with my wife and I both on the on the documentation papers. Let's talk a little bit about how you might want to title your registration or documentation. Well, um, that, that's interesting because uh, when we talk about um, titling your, your vessel here, uh, it gets into a um, uh, uh, sort of a state planning issues because all what we're talking about here really is uh, what happens when uh, one of the co-owners um, survives the others. Um, and so um, the, the, the reason you would... Um, uh, uh, title your vessel in a manner where it's a joint ownership, whether it's a joint tenancy or uh, their tenants in common. There are various ways you can do it depending on um, the state you're titling it in. Or whether it's documentation, too, you can put it on there as well. Um, really is just to, to, to try and um, end run is probably the too strong a term, but end run probate issues. Uh, so that, um, and, and you can tell I'm sailing into state and trust waters, which are not my uh, wheelhouse here. Uh, but um, th- th- this, this issue is one that should be addressed. It, it's not something we should, uh, you know, pass by quickly and just say, oh, it's just going to be tenants to come. You should talk to your trust and estates lawyer to understand what the effect will be uh, when one of the, 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 of the um, tenants outsurvives the other. Um, and, and the real concern is, uh, will the vessel have to be pro- part of the probate? Um, and, and two, will creditors be able to still, att- creditors of the decedent, will they still be able to attach um, their claim, their lien to that, rem- to, to that portion of the vessel uh, which passed over to the survivor? Um, so I don't know if that's clear. It reminds me of me sitting in Arkansas on a hot day listening to a trust and estates attorney lecture me uh but but that that that's uh the heart of it now one of the issues i've been thinking about and i've got adult children now that are married and their spouses have been out on the boat and have been sailing with me and and they become competent sailors and at some point in time i would like to let them go over hop on the boat and go sailing on the boat now that's where the documentation papers sort of prevent me from doing this and I've seen a lot of Europeans set up, oh, partnerships where, or limited liability companies where multiple people are, are listed as masters of the vessel or owners of the vessel so they can take, uh, take the boat out and go sailing on it without any problems from the customs people more than anything else or the, the, the country that, where they're going. If, if you run into that at all? I haven't run into it, but it's a really interesting issue. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have thought about it. So what you're saying is you're having trouble in foreign waters, 
Oh, you would have trouble. Uh, were you to, um, were your children to be aboard and not you, and clearing in and out would be a problem. Could you identify them as crew? I, I could as crew, but there has to be a, a captain, somebody that's uh, that's responsible for the boat. And it could be my wife or I, and it's never going to be my wife. It's always going to be me. So I've been thinking of, of retitling the boat and putting it into um, uh, maybe a family partnership and, and naming them as limited partners or something along those lines. Now, I hadn't, and, and again, this may be getting into estate issues, but for me, it's really not an estate issue. It's really an issue of letting my kids go use my boat. And it's, in the States, I don't think it's a problem. But when, when we're overseas, there's, you know, you have to, when you go in and clear customs and get your cruising documents, uh, the, the cruising documents pretty much have to match up the title, the, the documentation papers on the boat. So I'm trying to figure a way to get around that issue. I'm going to hunt that one down. I like that issue so much. And I'll send you an email. Perhaps you could add it to your, 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 your podcast posting then, uh, because I think that's, that's interesting. I, I, I am certain that there is a way to work around on that, because you have to imagine all these yachts uh, with owners that are here and there, and most times not on the vessel, are able to clear in and out because of their crew. So I don't, you know, why would it, you know, I don't know. Um, well, I know there's got to be a workaround because I see these mega yachts coming in and the owners are never there. So, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I, 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 I don't have an answer, but I, I will have an answer for that. That's curious. That's good, John. Thanks. I appreciate that. So what other topics would you like to cover on this? And if you don't have anything you want to, you've prepared, I'll ask a few more questions. Well, I have a couple of points that I, I think uh, are worthy of mention. First is when you have a documented vessel, as we talked about earlier, you've got to make sure that um, that you understand what obligations you may have under this, the home port of the state in which the vessel is located, so that you 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 understand whether it has to be uh, registered in the state as well. And don't forget that you also need to register your tenders. The documentation doesn't embrace the tenders or the jet skis or anything like that, and and so that's uh, that's something that, that that's worth remembering. Um, I, and, and you, Franz, you may know this, but I, I, I always I get a chuckle um, out of real, you know, people uh, think they have um, free, uh, they, they, can, they can name their vessel willy-nilly, whatever they want, you know. Um, uh, and yet, uh, if it's a documented vessel, there are some constraints on what you can, how you can name that vessel. And it's, um, you know, it can't, the name can't exceed 33 characters. Um, it can't, the name can't be identical actually or phonetically uh, to any term used to seek assistance at sea. Uh, can't be an obscene or racial name, a racial epithet. Um, um, so, I mean, that, wacky stuff, but it, it, it kind of it's kind of interesting that it's in the statute. You know, it's, um, 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 and I think it dovetails well with my next comment, which is that um, you can change a documented vessel's name but you can't change a documented vessel's number. Once it gets that number from the federal government, um, yours is probably mounted somewhere down below, as is mine on my sailboat. That number stays with the vessel through the life of the vessel. So, and I've I've arrested vessels, I've sold documented vessels at auction, and that documented number carries through. So that's a, sort of an interesting uh, tidbit. Oh, okay. So the name can be changed, but not the number then. Nope. nope. And you've got to be sort of aware of what you're going to... I mean, God knows who's naming 
their vessel, a name that, 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 that somehow is associated with seeking assistance to sea, but the statute does address it. Now, does this all go back to that original act? I mean, is it that, does this go back that far? Have they amended it over the years? You said it was the 11th Act of the First Congress, which, which I find interesting as well. Were they that far-sighted at the time, or was this a, a change later on in the, in the rules and regulations? Yeah, these were amendments. The, that, that wasn't part of the, the out-of-the-gate effort. And then the other, and then just to, to, to put one more thought out there, and that, you know, documenting a vessel, um, if we're talking about U.S. citizens seeking a documented vessel, it does add an element of privacy as well. You know, some states allow you to form an LLC and not identify the members, so you could create a, an LLC to own the vessel, and it would likely be somewhat difficult to understand who the um, uh, the the uh, owner uh, of interest is. Um, so that that might be another consideration for why documentation may be important to an audience member. Yeah, just a side note on that. I'm kind of curious since you've probably gone after very large ships with crews that are that are registered in a in a locality a, a flag of convenience, I guess, Panama or, or Liberia or one of those other places. I know they tried to hide ownership in those vessels as much as possible. Do you, do, are you able to find the owners, or do you really just care as long as the insurance companies are identifiable? <laughs> you answered the question, yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, at the end of the day, in 99.44% in, in of the cases, as long as I get down to the layer where uh, there's an insurance policy, um, I, I am I am okay at that point. I can move on to the merits, um, and 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 there are a lot of different ways to try, and that that can be difficult at times as well. But with the, all the pollution regulation that's come into play, uh, there are uh, the requirements as to to nominate uh, various uh, people and entities uh, with the Coast Guard and with foreign registries, uh, so that you 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 can. I would say relatively quickly. If you know what you're doing, you can you can find out who the legal owner is and who probably has the policy on on the vessel um, uh, without without a lot of effort. Uh, sometimes you have to chase things, but you know you can. Um, I don't want to give up all my secrets, but there are a lot of databases out there that are free, and that I, I think folks trying to um, uh, secret away a vessel don't realize exist and. Um, um, you know, one of them, for instance, I don't mind sharing this one, would be the FCC. A lot of folks, you know, will, will you know, they may have um, a recreational vessel and it may be owned by a trust or something. But if you can get hold of the vessel's number or the name of the vessel and you can go over to the FCC, a lot of times the uh, person who was maybe not secreting the vessel, but, a, but who had purchased the vessel for whatever reason in a business entity name, nonetheless went and got the uh, FCC radio license um, um, through uh, or in their own name. So it's it's a way of sort of identifying um, who might be the real party in interest. Any other comments, John? You know, this is a very uh, uh, a very dry uh, area. It's an important area. Uh, it's one where it can definitely uh, hit you up. But I, I I don't have a lot more to say about it. I um. Um, I, I think that um, uh, reference to I think the starting point for your audience should be a, a, a documentation uh, center assistant, you know, you know, a, a documentation specialist. Those are the folks who know this stuff backwards and forwards. Okay, let, let me let's let's move because probably about oh half or a third of my uh, third to a half of my audience is overseas. Sure, is a uh, 
is it is a procedure very similar in other countries is it do you know anything about other country, countries uh, procedures for documentation and do they have documentation and registration do you know anything about that you know Franz I hate to uh, uh, to, to, to say I don't, but I, I think you know, that, that probably is the cleanest way to respond. I don't. I, I'm familiar with the registry requirements for blue water uh, commercial vessels, but I don't think that would be attuned to what we're, what we're speaking to here. So, so no. People that are outside the United States need to check with their own rules and regulations regarding boat registration and documentation. So we don't really have any advice for you today on this podcast. No, I, I don't. Um, but I will poke around in my endeavor to unravel that other issue. And if I should be alerted to any particular resource that is available for folks who are overseas looking to address these issues, I'll make certain to pass that to you. All right, John. Do you have some ideas for future conversations? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, there's a whole slew of, of issues dealing with uh, carrying passengers. I know we touched on a little bit last time. And then there's the whole issue, too, of you know, uh, at least boating in the States, and, and, and you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would, I would suspect boating anywhere. There's a lot of paperwork involved at times, and you're signing things at shipyards and, and marinas for a mooring or a berth for the evening. And it's really helpful to have a few tricks in your as to how to quickly read a lengthy contract. And I, I definitely think that um, I've written a couple of things about that, and I, I think I could offer a few pointers that um, would be helpful to your audience when trying to digest a, um, a, a contract after a long day uh, on the boat and they're, they just want to uh, uh, you know, have, have a cold one and, uh, uh, and they're willing to sign. It might be uh, worth to, to know a few of these tricks so they can quickly look at the contract and say, ah, oh, that's bad water. I need, I'm going to have to cross that out or what have you. Oh, okay. All right. I look forward to that. That'll be a good conversation to have because I've always come into marinas and sort of felt like, well, sign it or get out of the marina. <laughs> sort of that's the, uh, that's the attitude I, I think they have. But it'll be interesting to hear some, some information from you on what we might do to protect ourselves. I've always noticed when I go into a marina, the first thing they ask for uh, is a copy of my insurance documents, which I can understand. But when I put my boat on the hard, they want my insurance documents. I never get a chance to look at their insurance documents but they're asking for my insurance documents. You know, it, it's, it's strange, I know. Um, and then the other issue, too, is they make that, that effort. But when something, let's say, and this is a whole other topic for another show, because it's a fascinating statute in the United States called the um, Limitation of Liability Act. And I don't know if we touched on this last time, but in a nutshell, it allows a vessel owner to limit its liability to the value of the wrecked or destroyed vessel following a maritime incident, um, um, provided the owner doesn't have knowledge or privity as to why it happened. Um, and, and so this um, is something we can unfold at another time, but uh, it, it, it allows an insurance company um, to protect the policy by filing a limitation action. And uh, so even though the marina is holding the policy details, oftentimes they end up in quite a bit of a uh, snafu because they can't get to the policy because they're battling against a, a limitation action. In other words, your boat's there, it burns down, it burns half the marina down. No doubt your insurer, I, 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 I know it'll be filed under your name, uh, but 
uh, it's being stage managed, I submit, by your insurance company, and they will file a limitation action to try to protect the policy proceeds. So, you know, it becomes this big um, science fair project, to put it in civil language. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's really, that, that's another good topic. I look, I look forward to talking about that. I think that'll be fun. Let's plan on another conversation in a month or two. How's that sound? That sounds great. My boat will be in the water then, so I'll be in much better humor. Okay. Thanks, John. Thanks, hey. for, thanks for joining us, and I really appreciate you taking your time. No, I, I, I'm grateful for being invited. Be well, and, and we'll leave it like that. Thanks again, Franz. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Again, if you have suggestions for future episodes, drop me an email, franz at medsailor.com, or use the contact form at the website. I do follow up on those. And do me a favor and go into iTunes and write a review on the podcast. I'd appreciate that. Lastly, consider signing up for the newsletter. Get out there and go sailing. Joe, you have something to tell me? No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe. What? Princeton can use a guy like Joe. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you, every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. You've made me very proud. I was just thinking. Where we might be ten years from now, you know? <laughs>